And uh, I'm excited this morning. We do have um, somebody who's uh, going to be sharing their story. So we like to take time every Sunday and create space for someone to share their story. And today, Kara Smith's going to. So Kara, if you want to come on up, uh, you can share. And I will say that we don't have any schedule for next week. So if you've been waiting for that opportunity, uh, we'd love to have you uh, let me know. You can sign up on the website. Uh, you can also email me. We'll give you everything you know to be able to share your story. So uh, Kara, thanks for doing that today. Good morning, everyone. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Kara. Um, I have been with Central City since we started about four, almost five years ago now. Um, and I'm excited, nervous, a little worried to share my story with you guys this morning. Um, my story is obviously much more complicated, intense, um, than what I can share in the five minutes this morning. So if you want to hear more of it, please reach out. I'm more than willing to share it. Um, I just figured I would start on the current chapter um, in my life and what God has been doing for me. Um, so I grew up in the church, and I was told to love my neighbor, but not my neighbor over here, not my neighbor over here that's different than me, not the one that looks different. Um, and for me, coming from that background to Central City that is very inclusive has been a great learning curve for me. I'm learning what it truly means to love my neighbor. Um, I'm also learning what it means to accept that mental illness can't necessarily be prayed away. Um, and so I have struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life. Um, and I was told, oh, just keep praying, just keep praying, and it will go away. It's not always that simple. For some people it might be, but for me, that's not been my case. Um, that was amplified when I was in high school when one of my dear friends passed away. Um, I've struggled with PTSD for the past 10 years. Um, and the church just looked at me and said, oh no, you're fine. You're fine. It happened, but God took care of it. It happened for a reason. And learning that maybe it did happen for a reason, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't need to be talked about. Um, it doesn't need to be swept under the rug. So learning to accept that part of my story, as well as learning to accept that justifications for verbal emotional abuse from the church is not something that is okay. Um, as a kid, I was told that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, that I was not accepted, even though I felt like I hadn't done anything wrong. And when I bring it up to the person that had said those things to me, it was, oh, you deserved it. You did X, Y, Z. And you, you did this because of what we believe. And so therefore, you deserved it. Learning to break down those walls and learning to say, no, that's not what the Bible teaches has been a huge struggle for me this past couple of years. Learning to know that everything I've been through is not 
defining how God loves me. And I am so thankful for Joe for being open about mental illness and the struggles that traditional Christianity has um, put in place. So moral of the story is I'm very thankful for Central City and for being open and allowing me to share just a little piece of my story. And hopefully, I know it's not going to, a lot of you probably can't relate to exactly what I'm feeling, but hopefully knowing that there is, it's okay to question and it's okay to break down the traditional stereotypes of what Christianity is, is okay. That's what I want to share with you guys today and leave you guys with is that it's okay to keep questioning. And I feel like here it's very encouraged. It's encouraged to keep breaking down those stereotypes. So thank you for letting me come up here and share my story with you this morning. Oh, it's, um, thanks so much for sharing, Karen. Um, you know, every story's different, and we really try to create space to, um, for you to share yours. And it can be your own personality. Um, it can be serious or um, uh, emotional or funny. Uh, it's your story, so it can reflect to you. So if you're willing to do that, if you're online, you can do it. Um, just record yourself on your phone. You can let me know, and we can, we'll play it back for all of us to be able to. go. Um, we are doing the racism discussion group today. So for those in the room who can't hear me, that'll be happening after the service. So if you're a part of that, it'll be happening in the fellowship hall uh, right after the service. There is child care that's going to be available um, if that's something you need. And uh, if you didn't fill out the RSVP, um, then uh, you, can, um, you can still participate. We'll find a group for you. The light's back on. There we go. Welcome back, everyone. Awesome. So um, that, the racism discussion group's happening right after. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall. If you're online, you're going to meet on Zoom. We'll do just some brief introductory stuff, and then we'll break into our discussion group. So if you're a part of that class, you can do it. Discussion groups will be, uh, for those on Zoom, we'll do the breakout rooms. And then in here, we'll, we'll, you can stay in the fellowship hall. There's other rooms. St. Luke's does worship during that hour, so uh, the sanctuary, uh, don't think you're going to walk through it without um, that awkward accidentally walking through a service, which my son, Finn, has done a couple times during their worship service because he thinks he now owns the church. Um, if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you. We do have a Connect card. Love to connect with you, centralcity.co slash connect, and you could fill that out, and we'll follow up with you. Love to share more about the church and some of the stuff we're working on. And if you'd like to give, you can give online by going to centralcity.co slash give. You can also do that in the Church Center app. Um, if you haven't downloaded that already, 
and you are into apps on your phone. It's a simple church center app. You can look it up and uh, you can go there and uh, there's a place where you can find your group information. So if you're in any of our small groups, all the resources are there, the giving's there, registration for events, all of that is in the church center app as well. So with that, I'm going to invite you to uh, take a second. Let's catch our breath. Um, I uh, want to invite us to become more aware of what the Spirit might want to do in our lives. And so um, will you uh, join me for just a few moments of pause, reflection, um, as we center ourselves and prepare our hearts for what God might want to do in our lives. Let's uh, pray in silence. Often with a sermon, I'll go verse by verse, and today I want to read the scripture passage and then share my reflections on it as a whole. And honestly, this is in some ways a more traditional way of preaching and how I learned in seminary. Today we continue looking at 1 Corinthians 12 in our mini gift series, starting with verse 8. It's, it's a truly inspiring passage of scripture that continues to convict and encourage. So I want to invite you to take just that deep breath to relax yourself, maybe even put your hands into an open position, position of receiving and allow these words to sort of wash over you. Um, it is itself a sermon, and then I'll share my own thoughts for whatever they're worth. But uh, this uh, passage, of a longer passage, 8 through 31, verses 8 through 31, um, has a lot of uh, wonderful things to say in and of itself. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as God determines. Just as a body, though, one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so that as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were given all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. See, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, well, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. A few doctors in the room. I'm sure you can name some parts that we don't know about that are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, then third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we trust that you are here in our midst, able to speak to us, able to convict us, able to challenge us. Allow your words to show us what we need to hear today, to get us through today, to get us through this week, to change us for the future. Whatever it is that we need in this moment, come and meet us, show us your love. In your name we pray. Amen. I grew up in a family of seven kids. I'm number five, which means I got to watch four of my siblings grow up before me, and they are truly amazing people. They're talented in all the ways that uh, I wish I was talented. They're bold and friendly and charismatic and artistic, just really creative people. My brother Josh, who was two years older than me, was this gifted artist, a painter, a sculpture, which, you know, uh, um, these are fancy words to describe essentially pencil drawings and fancy Play-Doh because we were kids at the time. But nonetheless, he could create amazing works of art. All of my siblings uh, were impressive, are impressive. Um, and impressive is the word I've thought a lot about in today's sermon. It's, it's one of the things... It, it's one thing to be useful, you know, like we all want to be useful, but it's something else to be impressive, you know, just leave people in awe. It's a, it's a feeling that if I'm honest, I've become a little addicted to. I try to impress people. Now, when I was little, there wasn't anything impressive about me, but my siblings, whoo, super cool, super cool people. A lot more impressive than me anyways. Uh, they won awards for their art. Uh, they got it featured in shows. People talked about it. They were recognized. I didn't, I didn't have anything interesting or word worthy of me. I wasn't great at art or much of anything. And the fact that I was half their age uh, and I was just a kid didn't quite register as one of the reasons. At this point in my life, I was a pretty boring kid. Well, one day I was very young and uh, I was in elementary school and this really got to me. I was really struggling with not feeling like I had anything to impress anyone, that I didn't have anything impressive about me. And I was so young that I, did, I don't have much of this memory. But I do remember that I found myself in my mom's lap. And I was, I was upset that my siblings were so good at everything and everyone kept talking about how good they were and I wasn't good at anything. And I, I cried in my mom's lap, wishing I was good at something, anything, to set me apart. It's one of those memories you hold on to. They say comparison is the thief of joy. In a large family, comparison is pretty easy. And if it's true for a large family, how much more for the church? How much more for us? I'd be lying if I told you I didn't compare myself to other Christians or other pastors or other preachers. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one. We look around and we see people who get recognition for all kinds of reasons, for their service, for their gifts, for their talents. They're a good preacher, a good worship leader, whatever. And maybe we find ourselves wishing we had, you know, something like that to offer, something that would impress people. 
Something that would make people say, wow, that was a really good job. You're so talented. Anything to offer. Anything would be worth recognition, maybe even a little praise. So people would come to us and say, good job. Love that thing you did. Wow, impressive. You're so talented. Nothing quite feels uh, as good as words like that. And it, it really is addictive. And, and there's nothing wrong with recognition. It's a healthy in its right place. It lets us know that we're doing well, that we play an important part in the world, that we have something of value to offer the world. We need it. It's, it's how we kind of gain self-assurance and confidence. We need, But recognition in our world tends to favor the more impressive talents. And in the church, it tends to favor the more impressive gifts. And that can become unhealthy especially when it's, when it's used to determine value. So much of our value in this world is determined by what we can contribute. We literally have pay scales based on what you have to offer. Any skill you have, you can go online and you can find the going rate for it in America. What's it worth based on your years of experience and your education and where you live? You can find out what it's worth. You can literally attach any monetary value to any of your gifts, talents, and hobbies. And it's one of the, one of the sure ways to, to ruin a hobby, by the way. Now, uh, there's even a you know, going rate for worship leaders. I told Ryan we were going to talk about this. Going rate for worship leaders. There's a going rate for a good preacher. I don't know if you know this. There's books and articles written by this. In fact, our uh, board used it when setting my salary. I shared with Jeremy was the SPR at the time, and I shared some of the, the averages for pastor's salary, and then our denomination sets minimums and things like that. There's going rates for all of this. Uh, there's going rates for people who run technology. Those numbers exist. Value, monetary value attached to gifts. And here's what makes it worse. If we don't contribute something that maybe is valued or maybe something that impresses people, maybe we don't feel that we're impressive, if we don't do things that are worth recognition, then there is no value. And it leads us down a path that can only end in one place. In the end, when our gifts aren't appreciated, they aren't valued, we begin to question whether we can belong at all. Our value to a community eventually will make us question whether we belong to that community. Can I be a member of this family if I don't have something to impress people? Now, in your family, it might be something different. It might be something else. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, not art or creativity. That's kind of how my family worked. Maybe it's money determines whether you are a successful son or daughter. Maybe it's a certain number of degrees or success in business, or maybe it's you engage in certain kinds of volunteer work. I don't know what has been set up for you to be successful or not, but I'm guessing it's something, that something of your family values, and if you can't offer it, you might wonder if there's a place for you. Maybe amongst your friends, it might be something else, your number of digital connections or the way that you dress or your ability to pretend everything in your life is the way it should be. I don't know, but, but I bet your friends value something, and if you can't deliver on what they value, you might begin to question whether you belong. In the church in Corinth, they were determining people's value based entirely on whether they had a specific gift. It's a strange gift. We talked about it briefly last week. It's the gift of speaking in tongues. Some see it as a spiritual gift of an angel's language. Others see it as more practical, like the supernatural ability to learn other languages, like in the story of the Pentecost. 
Others might have other theories, but the point is clear that the gift was valued above all other gifts in the church in Corinth. And because of that, if you had that gift, you were valued above others. So much so that if you didn't have that gift, you might begin to question whether you belonged to the church at all. And Paul in this passage and in the following chapters makes it clear that we can't celebrate one gift above others. He goes even further to say that. In God's upside-down kingdom, God celebrates the gifts we tend to not care about. That if you have something to offer that others don't appreciate, this only increases God's love for that gift and for us. God sees you, and God gets excited. But Paul's point is even deeper than that. The fact that we try to determine people's value or their belonging based on what they can contribute, based on their gifts or their talents, that's the problem. Like I said last week, some people view spiritual gifts as gifts from God that come for a season to serve the church, and by comparison, um, talents uh, as sort of natural abilities, things that we get maybe from a combination of nature versus nurture. Uh, For this series, we can use these interchangeably. They are uh, different in the same ways that maybe special revelation is different from general revelation, and they're alike in very much the same way as well. They're both gifts from God, whether supernatural, like conversion, or natural, or nature versus nurture. We didn't do anything to deserve these gifts, talents, whatever you have to offer the world. If the very air we breathe is a gift of life that comes from God, then certainly do our talents, our opportunities, our training, our whatever, and our gifts. In fact, uh, James says it like this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So all we have to offer is from God. It's a gift, and it's, it, it's, it's to be used for the common good. But it is never to be used to determine one's belonging to the community of God. It is never to be used to determine if someone is a valuable member of God's community. Think of it like this. Paul, Paul talks about the variety of spiritual gifts, he, he, miracles, uh, wisdom, uh, knowledge, prophecy. And these gifts are useful. Uh, they're terrible factors for determining belonging or value, but they're useful. In fact, just because someone has these so-called gifts, does nothing to help us determine if they're even following Jesus. Jesus is like this. Uh, He can't make it any clearer than this. Out of Matthew uh, uh, chapter uh, 7, verses 21 to 23, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? They said, "We, we had all kinds kinds of spiritual gifts, the same spiritual gifts God that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12. We did amazing things, impressive things, things that would draw attention, that would sell tickets, just, you know, so many things to offer the community of God. Look how valuable and useful we were for Jesus. Look at what we did, Jesus. You know how Jesus responds? Next verse. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Evil doers. Jesus makes it clear, impressive gifts, impressive work, spiritual gifts, all done in Jesus' name, but without any connection to Jesus, without relationship to Jesus, are not only worthless, evil. Which is another way of saying 
they have the ability to do more harm than good. And he says, away from me. This is why Paul starts this, uh, this chapter with the verses we read last week. The only way to determine if someone is in God's family isn't by what they have to offer, how useful they are, or how impressive they are, but by declaring that Jesus is Lord, by doing the will of God, as Jesus says in this passage, no matter how impressive that is or how much attention it gets. The only way to determine if someone is following Jesus is if they are following Jesus. And you'll never be able to tell simply whether they are useful to the church or not. So let me say this again. Just because someone is useful to the church doesn't mean they're following Jesus. And just because someone is impressive or is an impressive Christian doesn't mean they're following Jesus. Spiritual gifts or talents, whatever we have to offer, are not metrics for belonging to God's kingdom. Now, if you're here and you feel you have nothing to offer, this is good news. You don't have to impress anyone to belong. That's not even part of the equation. On the other hand, if you're here and you feel you've got so much to offer, oh, so much to offer the church, that you're just one of Jesus' best disciples, this is bad news. Because what you have to offer does not give you any special place in the church. So we're left with one question, a couple questions. We're left with the question, how can I know if someone's following Jesus? Uh, the answer is easy. None of your business. <laughs> That's above your pay grade. That's above mine. Not your problem. Don't worry about it. Well, figure it out later. That's not, that's not you. You don't need to worry about it. All right, so that's easy. We can move on from there. So we're left with a second question. How can I know that I'm following Jesus? Well, it's not because you have some kind of useful role to play in the church or because you're doing some great work. Paul and Jesus makes it clear that spiritual gifts aren't a metric for belonging. But later in another letter to the church in Galatia, he does say that there'll be fruit, that there'll be byproducts of our relationship with God. There'll be evidence of God's spirit at work in our hearts. You'll know that God's spirit is at work in your heart because of this. And I love that it has nothing to do with whether someone is useful for the community. He says the fruit we should be looking for to see if we are in God's family is this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, gentleness, and self-control. In fact, isn't that what Paul meant in our passage today? When at the end he said, but I will show you a more excellent way. He goes on to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure you've heard it before because it's been read at every wedding I've ever been at. It's one of the most famous passages of scripture ever, the passage of love, where Paul defines love as the fruits of the spirit, love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and discipline. These are the more excellent way. This is what the fruit we should look for in our lives. Let me put it this way. If I had to choose between a church that was filled with talented people, just the most impressive people you could imagine, gifted musicians and leaders and writers and creatives and teachers and thinkers, a church filled with amazing gifted people who could accomplish so much, but who also kind of tended to score a little lower on the spiritual fruits test, you know, weren't very loving or joyful or kind or gentle. Gifted and talented is all get out, but kind of mean. Have you met these people before? Have you been this person before? 
I feel like it's just described like the American workplace, but you know, maybe not every workplace, but many. Very gifted, but maybe just a little mean. If I had to choose between that church and one where everyone was terrible at everything, I mean, the sermons were crap, and the music was painful, and the organization was disorganized, and between the entire church, they couldn't even screw in a light bulb, all jokes aside, just completely inept. But they were overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit, you know, joy and peace and love, just more than enough to go around. It just oozed out of them. If I had to choose between the two, and those were my only choices, the talented church versus the loving church, I mean, come on. Easy, isn't it? That's a no-brainer. Give me the church with the fruits of the Spirit and let the gifts of the Spirit be damned. Give me love and joy and peace over talent any day of the week. You know, I fear we live in a world that values one more than the other, that values talent over integrity, being impressive over being loving, marketability over humility. And that might be how the world works. And that might be how you're going to get ahead in the workplace, you know? I don't know. But that is not the community of God. In the community of God, there is a more excellent way, the way of love. And I say all that to say this, and this is the part I really want you to hear, so I want to listen. Please listen to this. I mean this, and this isn't just me trying to offer some clever sermon because i got to preach one more week. This is what I think should be 100% true for our community. This is a non-negotiable for me. I'm not going to budge on it. I'm, up, I'm open to a lot of debate and a lot of nuance, and I love questions, but I'm not moving on this one. So you need to hear it, because maybe this isn't the right place for you. I don't know. I don't claim this is the right church for everybody. It's what I usually tell visitors. I'm not saying it's an effective strategy, but that's part of my personality. So here, here, here it is. The most valuable thing that you have to offer this church isn't your gifts or your talents or being useful, but your love and your kindness and your joy and your peace and your patience and your gentleness that you offer each other and you offer me and I try to offer you. Here's how Paul says it. You can be the most impressive Christian out there, but if you don't have love or kindness, nothing. You can know scripture back to back, but if you can't be kind, you're nothing. You can be the best speaker or preacher or prophet, but if you don't have love, you're nothing but white noise. You can have so much faith that you can actually move mountains. You know, you just, this type of faith that takes such great risks that you do things that other people thought were impossible. It's impressive the amount of faith that you have, but if you can't be gentle and kind, who the cares? Amen. You can literally give your possessions to the poor. I'm paraphrasing the Bible here if you're not familiar. You can literally give your possessions to the poor and beat yourself up trying to help others, but if you can't be humble or find joy in the simple things in life, what have you gained? Your greatest contribution to the church won't be your degrees or your gifts or your talents or your love. It's going to be your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your gentleness and your self-control, period. And that's the only place to start. Any other place is a false start. And with that understanding under us, we can move forward. We can have an honest conversation about our gifts and what we have to offer and how some gifts get a little bit more attention than others, and we can talk about that. 
but it is because we love others that we want to take what we have, our, our gifts, our talents, our presence, our prayers, our resources, and we offer them to the common good. We want to have something to offer, not because we want to be impressive, but because we love each other. And we love our community, and we, we want to show God's love to the world, and so we give these things out of service, out of grace, not because they have a market value. We love God, and love always leads to giving. So we give what we have. Your gifts and talents can be an expression of love, but are never a metric for belonging. Now, I wonder if there's someone here who has this kind of desire but feels that maybe you have nothing to offer, you want to serve God, you want to serve the church, but you don't know how. We're going to talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. Maybe you feel like you're laying your head into the lap of God and you're crying like I did years ago and I've done a couple times since, wishing you were good at something, wishing you had something to offer. And it's, it's, it's not like it was for me. You know, I just wanted to impress people and I'm still working through that. But you love others and you want to find your calling and you, you want to have meaning and you want to know that you're doing good in the world because you love God and you love others. You know, when I found myself in my mother's lap and I, I don't remember exactly what she said. This was, I was very young, but I do remember this. She, she pulled me in and she helped Turn my eyes to God. And she said, I was crying because I wasn't good at anything. She said, let's pray and ask God about it. I'm not sure that's always the best response, but man, it had a profound impact on me and it was what I needed at the time. And so she prayed over me, something simple, something a kid could understand, something that I hope that all of us can understand. She said, God, give Joey, which fun fact, that's what my family calls me. Switched to Joe when I became an adult. It just felt, felt right. But sometimes forget I was called Joey until I go home. She says, says, God, give Joey something he can be good at. It is a simple prayer, but it had a profound impact on my life, and I hold on to it uh, to this day. It taught me an important lesson, one that is especially important as a parent and as a pastor, and it's this, that the best things that I want to give to my child, the best things I want to give to you as parts of our church, won't come from me. I can't give them to you. The best gifts that you're going to ever receive will come from God. And that simple prayer turned my heart towards God as the source of all good things. And while I promise you I've used my God-given gifts for all kinds of nefarious and unhealthy reasons, I've tried my best to remind myself of what it's all about, that God is good, that God does love me, and just like God loves you, and God gives me good things that I might pass them on to others because without love my gifts are worthless. So if you're here and you wish you had something more to offer the world, you're still trying to figure out your calling and the things that you, that you can do to make the world a better place, to make your life a better place and your family a better place, then I, I leave you with a prayer offered a little kid years ago, a prayer that is meant to point our hearts back to God, the source of every good and perfect gift. God, help them be good at something. Not so that we can try and impress one another, but because we want to use our gifts to love one another. Let's pray. God, we turn our hearts to you, and we trust that um, you're able to meet us in all of our mistakes and ways in which we mess up, (laughs) maybe even uh, say the wrong thing, that your grace is able to fill the gap. and God, help us to be more loving towards one another, more forgiving more gracious, more patient. God, help me become more loving. Help me become more loving to my wife and to my son. 
Help me to be more patient. Help me to be more gentle. Help me to have more discipline. In all this, Lord, help me to have something to offer. Help me to turn my heart towards you, recognize that I am but a servant of yours, and that in your hands you can take anything and make it beautiful and do something amazing with it. I ask all this in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we uh, sing together. say that, uh, you know, I don't usually cuss, so I'm just going to throw that out there. And I want to apologize, special, especially for the families at home whose kids aren't in City Kids right now. Uh, so my, my apologies, uh, and I, I mean that, um, but uh, it wasn't in my manuscript, I promise, uh, if you want to see, uh, for what it's worth. I can't promise you I won't again, though, either, so I'm just, that's as, that's, that's as nuanced as I can be. I want to leave you with this blessing, nonetheless. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Next week, friends, uh, Robert Caldwell will be joining us again to continue our conversation on racism in the church. And, uh, and then we'll pick up this series uh, after that uh, for two more weeks um, in between Robert's talks. And uh, I'll see you all then.